One of the things about being a part of a church like High Point is that it brings into clear view that we are really just one large family. That's what a church is. We are a family that is joined together by the bonds of love and stitched together through the joining of our spirits with the spirit of the living God. And as a family, we hurt when other family members hurt. And we can feel it quite well when, we, when, when they're going through difficult seasons. And we greatly feel it when we lose one of our family members to death. I was thinking about it. I have done way too many funerals since coming to Red Bluff. I've been a part of laying far too many people, many saints of God to rest. Some of them I've known casually. Some of them were dear friends who made an indelible impression upon my life. And also through that in process, I, I've, I have gotten near family members and I have seen the pain that is associated with the death of a loved one up close and personal. Of course, it's a familiar kind of pain because I've experienced it in my own life. But you see, it's not just the pain of death that I see in our family members. I regularly see all kinds of pain and struggle in the lives of people who come to me for a variety of reasons to share what's going on within their lives. These are our brothers and sisters in the Lord who, who are dealing with real life issues of, of life and death and some are dealing with gut-wrenching decisions. Some are dealing with emotional heart, heartbreak and, and uh, physical infirmities. Some dealing with deep depression. But no matter what the issue, it has a way of shaking people to their very core. And what happens is you begin to start seeing doubts emerge as hard questions are, are being asked. And you see people's faith being challenged in ways like never before. And I've come to realize that for every person who comes and shares their struggles with me and asks for prayer from the members of our church family, that there are probably four more who suffer in silence and they simply learn to disguise all of the pain. I'm titling today's message, Behind the Smile, because I've learned that behind every smile, often what you'll find is someone who is dealing with difficulty. See, every one of us has a story to tell, even people who seem to smile all the time. On the surface, people appear to have their life all together, and they act as if they don't have a care in the world. But if you get to know someone long enough, you discover that even the perfect people know a lot about sorrow. They know a lot about heartache. If you stay in a church long enough, you begin to hear about their individual stories. Everybody has a story, one of uh, uh, tales of, of sadness and of failure, stories of, of a broken marriage or the death of a child or a child with an incurable disease, a family member that's suffering from, suffering from alcohol or drug abuse, tragic loss of a loved one, stories of a, of a crushing financial disaster, and of children and parents who have strayed away from God. They are all stories of family dreams dashed on the jagged rocks of reality. You see, every face has its own secret story to tell. And so a pastor learns, he learns that you have to look past the smile because there's always shadows behind that smile. Sometimes it takes a while, but eventually the truth comes out. 
and the story is told. But understand, your pastor is not at all surprised by these stories because even behind his own smiling face are some of his own. And if there's one thing that I have learned about people when they go through all of these lives' difficulties is how they easily become disillusioned. And some, though they'll never say it, they've secretly given up on God because for some reason they feel like he has wounded them and they don't feel like they can trust him any longer. While others, on the other hand, cling desperately to their faith like never before because it's, it's, it, they have nowhere else to turn. But no matter where you fall, whether you have a hard time trusting God or, or whether you're holding steadfast to him, there's something that God wants to say to each and every one of you that is in this building today. He wants you to know that he is still with you and he is still in control and he loves you as many of the songs we sang this morning pointed out and he deeply cares for you. See, all of us come to a breaking point sooner or later. We come to those moments that change the course of our life. And it happens in a split second. It really does. It's amazing how suddenly things in your life can change and how the props of your very life can get knocked out from underneath you. Several years back when I worked at Phoenix First Assembly, I was in my office with two other staff pastors. I received a phone call from a pastor from Africa who was on his cell phone. And he was providing me with a blow-by-blow report of a terrible car accident that he was present at. And he finally reveals to me that one of the people in that accident was one of our staff pastors who was over there on a missions trip. A semi-truck could not stop in time, and it rear-ended the vehicle that my friend and three other men, my friend Leo Godzic, was in, totally crushing the car and the men inside of it. And as this man was describing the scene before the crash, I could hear the saws in the background trying to to open up the wreckage of that car. And finally, I hear this man as he's openly weeping on this phone line, and he tells me that our fellow pastor, Pastor Leo, is dead, and he's watching his lifeless and broken body being dragged out of that car and taken to a local hospital. And I stood there with two of my fellow pastors and friends, and we weeped as we realized that we had just lost a colleague and we had just lost a friend. But then we began to think about his wife, Molly, and his three beautiful young girls and how life for them would so dramatically change on a dime. The harsh reality is, folks, that things can happen so quickly. The phone will ring and the voice on the other end says, you've got cancer or you failed the exam or your child is dead, or you're being sued, or I found somebody new, or I've been arrested, or I'm divorcing you, or the company doesn't need you anymore, or our friendship is over, or you learn that someone that you love has taken their own life. And at that moment, all time stands still for you. And you realize that life is never going to be quite the same again. And you wonder, how will I ever have the strength to move on? Well, this morning, I hope to encourage you with a scripture that's found in the book of Isaiah. 
the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. In fact, if you'll take your Bibles and you want to go ahead and turn there, it'll be up on the screen. You can follow along with me if not. Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. This is one of my favorite scriptures because it tells me a whole lot about my Heavenly Father. It tells me about His character, His strength, and His ability to help us. In times when I am weak, and at times when I am weary, and I wonder if I have what it takes to move forward, I will often reference this scripture, and I don't think I'm the only one. Isaiah 40, 28-31 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Within this scripture are ancient words from the prophet Isaiah, and it is a great scripture for you and I to glean real insight from particularly when we are in a difficult time, when we are in a difficult season. Isaiah, in this scripture, is writing to his own people, a nation that has been exiled in Babylon. And in their despair, they wondered if, if God had forgotten about them completely. And in reply, the prophet reminds them of the incomparable greatness of our Heavenly Father. You see, for Isaiah, everything begins and ends with God. Nothing in life can be understood apart from him. And he is speaking to people whose faith has come to a breaking point. So Isaiah rightfully is pointing them back in the direction toward God. And his words this morning speak to everyone who's ever struggled, everyone who ever finds themselves at a breaking point. And here's the principle found in this scripture in verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint nor grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. This verse contains four vital truths about God that I want to share with you today. The first one is that he is the everlasting God. That means that he is, he is totally reliable because he is everlasting. He has no beginning. He has no end. 
Draw a line, take a line between infinity to infinity, and when you come to the end of infinity, that is where you will find God. He stands above and beyond anything we can imagine. There are absolutely no deficiencies in God. He does not decay, and neither does He change. And when we pray, He answers. We say, Lord, can you, can you take care of my problem? And He says, it's no problem for me. And we say, Lord, won't, can you believe this mess I'm in? And He says, yeah, try me, I've been there. Lord, have you ever seen this before? Yes. He says, I've seen it many times. Lord, will you be there when I need you? And he says, I was there before you existed, and I will be there long after you are gone. God has been there, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus has seen it all. He's overcome it all. He's put it to bed, and we got to believe in his everlasting goodness. The second vital truth is this. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. That means that he is all-powerful. No problem is too great for him because he made the very things that are causing you problems. You say, Lord, can you handle it? And he says, handle it? I made it. You know, when you buy a computer or when you buy a car or you buy any kind of an appliance, there is a warranty that comes with the purchase. It's a guarantee for that item for a specified period of time. The manufacturer warranties the item because he made it. He stands behind it. His reputation is on the line for that product that you bought. He knows how to fix it because he designed it and because he put it together. Well, verse 28 is the believer's warranty for all of life's problems. And I want you to understand something. God's warranty doesn't end 90 days after you buy it. His warranty goes on forever. Here's the third vital truth. He never grows weary. It means that he is continually available. Weary is what happens to you when you work to the point of exhaustion. But this never happens to God because his strength has absolutely no limits. He is never too tired to help you. The Bible says that he never sleeps nor slumbers. He's never too preoccupied with someone else's problems that he can't listen to your heart's cry. His tank never runs out of gas. To put it in human terms, he, he never answers so many prayers in one day that he can't get out of bed in the next day. And he never tires of helping his children. Here's a fourth vital truth. His understanding no one can fathom. That means that he is absolutely trustworthy. He has perfect insight into your life, which means he understands things about you that you don't even understand about yourself. See, we see, we see life through a keyhole with all of our problems crowding our field of vision until we can't see anything beyond the problem. But God sees the big picture. He sees the really big picture. He sees the whole universe, all of it. And he sees it all at the same time. He is never surprised by your problems. He is never baffled by any of your questions, no matter how hard they are. And he is never confused by your confusion. You need to know that. So understand, when you don't know what to do, God knows what to do. And when you choose to dive into him, you'll never come to the end of his understanding.
there are also two great promises found in this scripture. And the first one is this. God will provide strength in your weakness. Verse 29 says, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Notice the words he used here. Strength. That refers to the ability to act in a moment of crisis. It speaks of endurance. It's, it speaks of endurance specifically during hard times. Might is the power to reproduce. It speaks of, of vigor or vitality. Power means the ability to do exactly what needs to be done. In this context, it means that you will have whatever you need, whenever you need it, to do whatever needs to be done, whatever needs to be accomplished. It literally refers to power being in your bones, the physical power to keep on going. The second promise is this. God will do it because he knows we all need it. Verse 30, even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. I remember in my younger years, I never got tired. I could work all day. I could stay out all night. It seemed like I had no limitations. This is one particular blessing that comes from being young, that you can keep on going when other people give up. Well, there was a time I could do that with the best of them, get very little sleep and go to work the next day. But now I find myself taking naps <laughs> while other people just keep going on. But what is true of me will be true of you young people tomorrow. Just wait. You're all heading in my same direction. And one day you'll be like me and you'll need naps. And you're going to enjoy them. You're going to say, wow, why didn't I do this before? This is the greatest thing since. <laughs> you see, even the strongest of the strong lose heart and give way. We all have to stop. We all have to rest eventually. No one can take the strain of life forever. As the late Tom Landry, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, used to say, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And we see, often, we see this often in the North State, because even the mightiest oak trees can crash to the ground under the right kind of conditions. Well, not only are there two promises, oh, and by the way, God promises strength to us. He promises strength to us in just the nick of time. When we have those moments of weakness, when we feel like we can't go on, he always comes through. Sometimes it seems like you're hanging on by a thread, but he always comes through. But not only are there two promises in this, but I, wanna, I also want to show you a prospect that is found in here as well, and it's found in verse 31. It says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Note the two key phrases in that verse. The first one is, wait for the Lord. Another translation says, wait upon the Lord. The Amplified Bible adds this in brackets. Those who expect, those who look for and hope in Him. You see, I've come to realize that Waiting is perhaps the hardest discipline of the Christian life. Most of us hate to wait for anything. I know that I do. I don't like to wait in traffic, though it doesn't happen much here in Red Bluff. It was a constant when we lived in Phoenix. I don't like to wait at a restaurant for a table to be open. That waiting to me is excruciating because <laughs> I'm hungry. 
I don't like to wait at the doctor's or the dentist's office, especially when I start thinking to myself, now wait a second, I have an appointment, and now it's past my appointment time, why am I waiting? Even when you travel, you're waiting all the time. You wait at the check-in counter. You wait at the TSA security line. You wait at the gate. You wait at the jetway. You wait while the plane sits on the tarmac at the gate again at the baggage claim, and you wait out on curbside waiting for your ride to come by and get you. When you travel, you learn to wait, but you never really get used to it. Well, that sort of waiting is trivial compared to a wife who is waiting for her wayward husband to come home. Or to parents who are waiting for a word from their son who is serving in the Middle East somewhere. Or a cancer patient waiting on the results of their latest test. Or friends and and loved ones waiting for the results of, of a serious surgery or a diagnosis at the hospital. You know, waiting in the hospital is like no other kind of waiting. Minutes become hours and hours become days. You sit there and you stare idly and you read magazines that you don't care about and don't understand and you can't concentrate on. You wander down to the cafeteria to eat food that you can't taste. You listen to conversations that you don't really care about. You wait for what seems like an hour only to look down at your watch and find out that five minutes has gone by. Such is the life for all of us. And And it goes so quickly sometimes. Days and months and years blur together. And then suddenly it slows to a snail's pace. And it almost seems to come to a dead stop. Talk to anybody who is going through a health crisis or knows someone in there who's close to them who who is going through it. And they will talk of it being like a roller coaster ride. The doctors first give bad news and then they give good news. And then they give you confusing news that you don't know what to make out of it. They feel like, sometimes you feel like you've been taken to the top just to be dropped right back down to the bottom. And all of this stuff continually messes with your mind and your psyche. And and cancer can do that to you. Not just active cancer, but especially those patients who are in remission. My sister once told me, it's always in the back of your mind. You think about it every time you get to get ready to go to another checkup. What will the doctors find this time? Will the blood work be okay? Will the test show anything new. I have a good friend who operates a ministry called Team Up Against Cancer. And David does all kinds of research into treatments that are available for all types of cancer. And when you ask him about the current state of research, he says research is all over the map. He says it depends on what kind of cancer you have where and, and where and, 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 and when you found it, as well as where you're being treated and what kind of treatments are being used. You know, medicine is an art and a science. And there are certainly percentages, but there are absolutely no guarantees. That's why the term for what a physician does is called practicing medicine. It's true. It's practicing. But our text this morning reminds us all that we are not waiting for the latest medical breakthrough. We are not waiting for a message from our loved one. We are not waiting for a new job or or, or the end of a prison sentence or or a promotion or a check to come in for a million dollars. We are waiting for the Lord. We are not waiting for something. We are waiting for someone. 
So this waiting should not be done in passive resignation where we just say, it's hopeless and I can't do anything about it. Waiting for the Lord is the highest expression of our faith in God. When we say, I know that God is going to resolve this situation, I don't know how he's going to resolve it, and I don't know when he's going to resolve it, but I know that he will do it, and I'm not giving up, and I'm waiting on him. I read an article from someone who was speaking about God's will. She said that when you feel confused and uncertain and don't know what to do next, when you can't figure out the bigger picture, which I think describes most of us most of the time, just get up and do the next thing, she said. There is always a next thing that needs to be done. It may be small, it may be trivial, but there is always something that needs to be done. Things like washing or cleaning, or writing a note, or making a phone call, or paying bills, or changing the oil, putting gas in the car, picking up the kids, or weeding the flowers, or feeding your dog. Life is like a river that never stops flowing, even when we are confused about where it is taking us. So do the next thing. And here's the insight that I think this person was trying to convey. It is within the doing of the next thing, even when we are confused, where the next thing after that is revealed to us. And eventually, though it may take a while, you will begin to see your way forward once again. Here is the connection with these trials of life that I've been talking about today. When your mind is squeezed by fears and by concerns of the unknown, your fears can freeze you into total inactivity. Waiting on the Lord means that even in those moments, you make a mental choice to trust in the living God because he is all-sufficient for your immediate need. And, and you need to say, I am going on with my life. Not without some doubt, not without some fears, but I am moving forward nonetheless. You see, waiting doesn't mean doing nothing. Waiting for the Lord means I am totally convinced that God is at work. Yes, in this awful situation, even though I cannot see it at the moment. Therefore, I will not let this thing overwhelm me because being overwhelmed will not solve the problem anyway. By God's grace, I will do the next thing that needs to be done, trusting that God is working behind the scenes on my behalf. So that little step forward, whatever it is, is a step of faith. Waiting is not passive, but it is active because you believe that God is at work in the midst of your crisis. The other crucial phrase in that scripture reads this way, renew their strength. That right there is the heart of God's promise, ladies and gentlemen. It is his word to weary people who feel like they cannot keep going on. The word renew actually means to exchange one thing for another. I want you to think about it like this. I want you to think about it like changing a jacket, taking the old one off and putting a new one on. In this passage, it means to exchange your weakness for God's strength. This is a wonderful promise because no matter how desperate your situation is, God has more strength than you've got weakness. You know, when Brooke was a little girl, it was very easy to throw her in the air and swing her around, and she used to laugh with delight every time I'd do it. And it was possible because at that time, she was very small. 
in these days, she's grown up. I can't do it anymore. Plus, I'm not as strong as I used to be. Plus, it looked pretty foolish for a 50-year-old man to throw a 20-year-old, 18-year-old girl up in the air. We've both changed. My point is that we've changed. I've gotten older. She's grown up. But God does not change like we do. His strength does not lessen over time. The Lord of the universe has more strength than you and I in this entire world has problems. And in our text this morning, it explains to us how his strength will help you. The passage shows us life in three aspects. Number one, the strength to soar. It says, mount up with wings like eagles. This is what happens when you have so much energy and so much enthusiasm that you can't wait to get out of bed in the morning. You rise about above your problems with an exuberant joy that only God can put in your heart. Number two, the strength to run. It says run and not be weary. This is a God-given ability to withstand enormous pressure. You have unusual strength that you know doesn't come from yourself. It's, it's what happens when you say, I don't know how I made it through that, but I did. Number three, the strength to walk. It says walk and not faint. This is, the st- this is stability in the daily affairs of life. Walking without fainting is the ability to get you up every day, day after day. Do what needs to be done. Face the irritations of life while at the same time remaining some semblance of a sense of humor. Walking is placed last. Why do you think that is? Because it is the daily need of every child of God, of every human being for that matter. And in that sense, it's the highest attainment of faith. Walking is really more remarkable than running or soaring precisely because walking is the real stuff of life. Walking implies a steady progress in one direction by means of deliberate choices over a long period of time. Galatians 5.16 tells us not to just walk, but to walk in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit means to let your conduct and your actions be directed by the Holy Spirit. To make progress in your life by relying on the direction and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the idea of following the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to guide your conversations, your steps on a daily basis. Listen, walking is slow when compared to driving or or taking a plane, and it's certainly not at all flashy. And sometimes walking can be tedious and slow and dull and downright boring. But if you got to get from point A to point B, walking will get you there. It will get you there eventually. All you have to do is just start walking, and you don't stop until you arrive. And understand, walking in the Spirit is not some, some mystical experience that is reserved for special Christians. It is God's design for you and for your daily Christian life. It's nothing more than choosing every day by God's grace to take tiny steps in the right direction day after day after day as guided by the Spirit of God, the voice of truth that will always speak into your mind. Well, here are some lessons to take home today. We can summarize this text, I think, in in three ways. Number one, our greatest need is for us to understand the sufficiency of God. When you look at your problems, they will always seem too big for you to handle. Because in the final analysis, they are too big for you to handle. I mean, who among us is equal to the truly difficult 
issues and situations of life. We are not equal to divorce or the death of a friend or the ruin of a career or a hurtful rumor that is being spread against you or a massive financial setback or sons or daughters going off to war or parents who are growing old, the collapse of a cherished dream or the end of a lifelong relationship, an attack of severe depression or a disabled child or a massive heart attack. Who is sufficient for those kinds of things? Yet they come our way daily on an ongoing basis and we find ways to cope but we are not equal to them. And sometimes troubles comes in waves, and sometimes those waves can overwhelm us. Life can be full, yes, of mountaintop experiences. And who doesn't love those mountaintop experiences? But they can very quickly be followed by long valley experiences. And some of those valley experiences can involve enormous difficulties. And at times... At times, you can find yourself feeling like you're under such great pressure and such great duress that you even have a difficult time praying. It has the capacity to overwhelm you. It has the capacity to defeat you. But I want to remind you this morning that during these times, you must force yourself to pray. And while doing so, you've got to remember this scripture in Romans 26, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit is there to help you in your weakness. The Holy Spirit comes to us in our weakness and he prays for us. So in those moments that you have of utter despair, when you can't do anything more than speak out, oh God, or oh Jesus, we should never berate ourselves for that because a cry out of desperation that says, Lord, have mercy, may be the most sincere prayer that anybody has ever prayed. And in a sense, those three words lie at the heart of what true prayer is all about. Ladies and gentlemen of High Point, it is not the magnitude of your problems that matter. It is the magnitude of your God that matters. And he is certainly big enough to meet any need or any trouble that you come up against. Here's lesson number two. Our greatest danger is resisting God's work in our life. You know, it can be a good thing to hit rock bottom. Because it causes us to look up to our Heavenly Father. And many people learn this truth the hard way. Many have have achieved enormous financial gain. They've climbed the ladder of success only to come to a point where they lose it all overnight. Due to poor decisions or risky investments, they lose everything that was gained. Sometimes we need to be stripped of the wrong things in us that we put our trust in when that trust should be in God alone. But the point is you cannot be 80% committed to your faith. You've got to be a 100% committed or nothing. The world in which we live in will lead you to believe that, that the truly strong among us are the famous jet setters and those people who we follow on television and in government and on Twitter. But the strongest people on earth are those who have discovered their own weaknesses and they have turned and relied upon the unlimited resources of their Heavenly Father. Show me a man 
who says, only you, God, can get me out of this, and I will show you an excellent candidate for a miracle. Because when someone says, I have come to the end of my rope, God says, wrap yourselves around me, and I will be your strength. When you are weak, that is when you are strong in the Lord. Here's lesson number three. Our greatest hope is replacing our weakness with his strength. We are invited to wait upon the Lord. We are, and we are promised from him an exchange. God will fit the supply moment by moment, day by day, as it is needed. He will come to you if you will turn to him. The unlimited power of God flows into our frail humanity on a simple condition of waiting on the Lord. So let me ask you this morning, are you weary? Are you discouraged? Are you confused? Are you beaten down and broken? Those words describe all of us at one point in our life. You may be riding a wave of contentment and you may be in the deepest gutter that you've ever been in. But we are delivered by God from our weaknesses when we exchange our weaknesses for his strength. It sounds mysterious. I understand that. But I can offer no realistic proof except the promise of God and the testimony of millions of believers that have found this to be true. Even in your own life, look back on those moments when you didn't think you could go another day. And here you are. Because God's strength was with you. You see, we do, in fact, mount up with wings like eagles. We do run and not grow weary. We do walk and not faint. And here's a promise for all of us this morning. God will give you all the help that you need because he has all the strength and the power of the universe. He has so much that he will never run out. And we will never be able to come to the end of his power. It all depends on who God is. So to say, I've got no place to go, but the Lord is like saying, I've got nothing but air to breathe. The issue is not our problems, ladies and gentlemen. The issue is who is our God. If God is who he says he is, then you've got every reason to be grateful and every reason to be full of hope, even in the situation that you are in now, and every reason to keep believing that he is in the midst of your current trial. Because they who wait upon the Lord, they renew their strength. And this is the promise of God to each and every one of you here today.